<clears throat> well, this past week was the second week in a row at the Erickson home where we had uh, a midweek evening that went long into the evening. Uh, two weeks ago, we were on the edge of our seats as we were watching history in the making uh, as we celebrated a, a Cubs World Series win. We can still talk about that. It's an awesome thing, right? It's history in the making. Um, even if you're not a baseball fan, I'm not a baseball fan myself all that much, but I'm a Chicago fan, and even if you're not a Chicago fan, chances are you have family and friends who are diehard Cub fans uh, who are glad to, to see this finally arrive, and so we can celebrate with them. But that was about two weeks ago. This past week, we had another late night in our home, in the Erickson home. Uh, not all the kids were able to stay up as late. They didn't quite pull it off. It wasn't as riveting as the week prior, but we were watching the election results come in. And we had our little maps, we'd color in uh, you know, as the different states turn different colors. You know, we'd color that in, talk about what that meant. And again, we're, we're up late watching history in the making. In that case, we've seen that Trump has won the election. As I was watching all this unfold in the days after it, one thing was clear to me. There's all kinds of different aspects we can look at, different things we can talk about when it comes to this election, when it comes to the results, when it comes to what do we do moving forward. I just want to take a moment to hit on that because the one thing that was clear to me is that we are a nation divided. We are a nation divided. I mean, you look at how right down the line, and not just in a, in, from you know, this many states versus that many states and this many votes versus that many votes, but like within individual counties, Almost everyone that I looked at it was almost, you know, 40 this to, to 50 that. It was so, so close margins with the primary two candidates. We are a nation that, that is divided. I mean, this runs far deeper than, than baseball or sports team affinities. Uh, you know, it's far deeper than Bears, Packers, or those kinds of uh, differences. I mean, this some of our core beliefs. If we all said, hey, do we want what's best for our country? Yes. And they said, okay, what does that look like? All of a sudden, we can see where some of these divisions come about. We don't need to go far to find someone who passionately disagrees with us. However you voted, whether it was for one candidate or the other, or you chose not to, or however you participated in this past election, you don't have to go far to find someone who vehemently disagrees with you. You just go for a walk down your street, knock on a few neighbors' doors, and just ask a few questions. You can quickly find someone who probably thinks differently than you in, in one, if not many, of the issues that have uh, come up in this election. There have been race relation conversations, immigration conversations. Uh, we've looked at issues of, of the economy and character uh, that should be uh, found in a leader of, of the free world. The experience that we would expect of someone in that position. Uh, some people have said, okay, the issues that I look at are the Supreme Court picks or whether it has a conservative or a liberal agenda. Uh, looking at some of the social justices and how the candidates engage with those, healthcare reform and all these different things. There's all these different aspects and angles with which we can look at this and say, well, here's why I landed on my decision. Whatever your decision was. This Thanksgiving coming up has the potential to be the most awkward Thanksgiving since the first Thanksgiving. You know what I'm talking about. Uncle Dave's going to be sitting at the table with you, and he's going to have one too many whiskeys, and all of a sudden he wants to talk politics. You know? So how do we move forward? In light of this, how do we move forward? Well, while there's many different ways we can go, many different things we can look at, I love to simplify things. 
Because so many times I think we can, we can speak in theory and all these different ideas of things we can do, but the majority of time when, when we're going to need to use this kind of stuff is in this kind of setting where we're sitting shoulder to shoulder right across from someone. We go out for lunch afterwards and someone says, hey, what would you think about what Steve was saying about the election? Hey, who would you vote for? Who do you support? What do you think about this? Well, why, why did you do that or why wouldn't you do that? Once these everyday conversations with people you know and love or people you're trying to get to know and enter into a relationship with, a friendship with, those are the settings in which these conversations come up. Yes, there's, there's other opportunities for these kinds of conversations, but it, it's going to be in these one-on-one, uh, these small group settings where you find yourself, okay, I think differently than you. You think differently than me. How do we move forward in light of this? Well, I'd encourage you to look at the actions that God calls us to as followers of Christ. Now, I know that that's still pretty vague. I'm going to specify what I mean by that. Um, we're going to look at three different things that God calls us to, but once you look to the actions that God calls us to, as followers of Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you to try these things. To try these things in your life and to see how does it go. How does it go when it comes to trying to show love and care uh, to, to your friends and family and those you're engaging with, those who think differently than you. And I just encourage you to try these things. So the three actions I want us to focus on when it comes to how do we move forward in light of this political season. The first one is this. Love God. Love God. We see when Jesus asks, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love God. And he kind of throws in this bonus one, which we're going to get to in a moment. says to love others. But put God first in all things, with all things in your life. This defines our identity when we submit all things to God. Right? This is what we've been talking about as we've been going through this Daniel series. This is what we're going to kind of wrap up this week as we look at this concept of finding our identity in God. We say, God, I love you above all else, before self, before others. Uh, you are God. You are first in my life. If that's not a true statement for you, I would encourage you to try to take steps towards that reality as we seek to move forward in light of uh, the current status of our culture around us. See, we're a child of God before we're anything else. There's many things that I am. There's many things I've been called. <laughs> but There's uh, many titles I hold. But before I'm an Erickson, I'm a child of God. Before I'm a husband, I'm a child of God. Before I'm a father, I'm a child of God. Before I'm an employee or a, an employer, I'm a child of God. Before I am uh, whatever political leaning you want to put in there, I am a child of God. And that is true of everyone else in our life. And, and some of us live in that reality as we submit and surrender to Jesus Christ, trusting in him for the forgiveness of our sins. And others of us don't know that yet. We don't know that we're children of God. We're not living in that reality yet because we haven't taken that step in our journey yet to surrender all things to God, to say, God, you are first in my life. So one thing we can do to move forward is to focus on loving God. Put him first because then that will dictate and that will lead us in how to live our lives in other aspects. We unite together as the people of God. And that kind of leads us to our next point, to love others. Love others. Some, some practical ways we can live this out is to respond well if your pick won. Respond well if your pick lost. Respond well if your pick wasn't even in the running. Respond well if you disengaged intentionally. Whatever your step was, respond well to those around you. And that means a couple different things. Engage with others in healthy conversation. This is so important. I want you to hear this. Listen to understand as opposed to wait to retort. Listen to understand as opposed to waiting to respond or waiting to correct in your opinion or, or to retort. 
I have two uh, girls, I have three kids, but two girls, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old, and they play very well together. It's awesome. We kind of, you know, if you've got some other things you need to do, they can play together and entertain themselves for a moment. But I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'll either be in the room or just a room out, and I'll overhear them just kind of shouting back and forth at each other, and neither one of them are listening. They're both trying to say, hey, do this, do this. They're trying to guide and direct the other one, and they get angry because the other one's not listening, but they're doing the same thing right back to them. They're both just saying, hey, here's what I want to have said. And neither one of them is listening to understand. And I see that in so many political conversations as well. If we can really, truly try to listen to understand, even if we disagree on everything they're saying as far as uh, how to approach some of these things, if we listen to understand, we remind ourselves, this is a child of God that I'm speaking to. This is a, a person that I'm talking to. Maybe I disagree with this or that or that. Maybe there's uh, some strong emotions involved here but it reminds us that they're a person of God. And that helps us to figure out how to move forward as we listen and try to understand where they're coming from. Even if you still disagree, that's fine. But let's love others enough that we're willing to listen to understand. Engage, in others, uh, engage with others in healthy conversation. Uh, engage with our kids and our youth in healthy conversation. Uh, not only should we uh, lead them, and you know, here's how we respond uh, to a, a world that disagrees or to individuals that disagree, Let's include them in that. Let them learn firsthand as we engage with them in conversation. Be a source of encouragement and hope as you point to Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, and in this political season you've been a doomsdayer saying the sky is falling, stop it. Stop it. If you didn't hear me, stop it. <laughs> we, if you are trusting in Jesus, the hope that we have is like none other and we've forgotten that in all too many cases. Worst case scenario, whatever you think that would be, could take place and our hope is still in Jesus. And we still would have something to stand on and say, you know what, a better day lies ahead. Let me show you the way. It's found in Jesus. And so if we're furthering that conversation of, of the world is ending, the sky is falling, stop it. Let's be a people who are a beacon and a light we're the light of the world because Jesus shines through us. So love God, love others, and then we can go and make disciples. The reason I threw this one, we see this in Matthew 28, is Jesus speaking to his disciples. One of the final things he says to them is he kind of commissions them. He does this great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Basically, teach others what I've taught you. Reveal me to others. Teach others about me, Jesus is saying. The reason we need to remember this beyond loving God and loving others, is because all too often we're willing to win a political conversation at the cost of an opportunity to share the gospel. Sure, you might be able to win that argument or shut down your opponent. Maybe you have more research or more evidence or you've done more reading or you just got a good zinger. But what's the cost? What's the cost of that? If it takes away an opportunity to share the gospel, was it worth it? Honestly, I, I, I firmly believe that an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with someone else is greater than our personal political positions. I'm not saying we can't talk politics. I'm not saying we can't engage and ask people, hey, what do you think? Can I share what I think? We can definitely have all those conversations. But we have to think about whatever I say, whatever I post, whatever I share, whatever I like, whatever I promote. We have to ask ourselves this question of, will it further conversation or will it end it? 
Will it keep a door open for more questions to be asked and, and conversation to be had? Or will it close that door and end any future conversation? Ask yourselves, ask ourselves, what is my intent in what I say, in what I post, in what I share, in what I like, in what I promote? Do I just want to be able to get my viewpoint out there and feel good about myself? Or am I really trying to share with others in a, in a meaningful conversation? So how do we move forward? I think in these three steps, loving God, loving others, and then go and make disciples. If we keep those things in mind, that will dictate, that will inform us how to move forward in conversation with others who think differently. And then we can focus on turkey and stuffing this Thanksgiving. So fortunately, Daniel is a great example of this. Uh, he, he finds himself in a similar context. While it is different, it's similar in some other ways uh, to just some of the confusion and unrest that he was living in. He lived in the reality of his identity as a child of God. And this gave him the ability to live courageously despite the confusion, despite growing up and living his life. can't say quite his entire life, but just about his entire life lived it in, in, in captivity as an exile, uh, someone removed from his land that was conquered by a foreign nation, and he lived in this foreign land, was given uh, jobs to do within their government, within their leadership structure, was given a Babylonian name, and he lived within this reality, still knowing who he was. He loved God, he loved others, and he made God known. He glorified him every chance he had. So he followed in those steps as well. We looked at many examples as we walked through Daniel's chapter 1 through 5, and we see that he was consistent in these actions. That's something we're going to look at here this morning, is just how consistent Daniel was in what he did and who he was, even through various regime changes. If you've never really read through the book of Daniel, maybe it's kind of, you're familiar with some of the stories. Oh yeah, he's the guy that was taken out of captivity and, and refused to eat the king's meat. Oh, he was the guy, his friends, they, they refused to bow down to a golden bunny or something. It was a golden statue, not a bunny, that's VeggieTales. Uh, he refused to bow down, they threw him in a furnace, but they didn't burn, right? Or he's that he's a guy that they put in the lion's den. Those are some stories that are, are possibly familiar to you, depending on your background uh, with biblical stories. But I don't think we remember that, hey, a lot of those uh, different moments in, in Daniel's story took place under different leadership. Most of the, the narrative of Daniel takes place under King Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, after King Nebuchadnezzar, there's a few of the kings that pop in there. Uh, but there's assassinations and all that kind of stuff. And eventually it lands on excuse me, his son-in-law, and then his son-in-law is off to war, and so his son-in-law's son, so his grandson, uh, Belshazzar, uh, or Belshazzar, either way you want to say that, um, kind of has the throne. And then his days are numbered. And then the, the, the Persians and the Medes come in and take over, and King Darius is one we're looking at here today. And throughout all this, Daniel is consistent in who he is. Daniel's consistent in who he is. Think about our context as followers of Jesus in, in this society, in this world. Our nation ha has gone through a lot of change, and, and honestly, I think that there's even more coming. Again, whether you agree with the direction or not, whether you agree with how it's moving, you can still see that we're, we're a nation divided. And so there's all these challenges. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in saying, well, no, th this is what I want to look like, that, that that's what's primary. Imagine if Daniel said, hey, making where I live now more like Jerusalem, that's what's primary. But he didn't. He said, what God has for me is what's primary. And that was making his name known by the way he lived his life and the way he said to those that he had influence in. And what we see is some people responded to that and some didn't. Nebuchadnezzar was one of those. Here this man had influence with the king. 
And so, yes, are there other ways in, in a democratic system that we can engage and try to uh, be involved in a way to see our end result that we would desire, that we think would be best for our community? Yes, by all means. But we've got to put first and foremost what God is calling us to, and that is making his name known amongst the nations. Down chapter 1, we saw that he resolved not to defile himself, but put God first. He's not going to eat food that was sacrificed to a false god, but he says, you know what, God, I'm only going to eat um, vegetables and water. And, and um, he kind of talked to some people to make that happen, and he, and he showed himself to be healthy and strong after that time. We see in chapter 2 and chapter 4, he interprets dreams and helps Nebuchadnezzar take next step on his journey with God. I mean, we see all these things that he's done that just show his love for God and his love for others, and his willingness to make God's name known. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 6. That's where we're going to be here this morning as we close out our series. Daniel chapter 6. Uh, this is toward the end of his days. Uh, when we first picked this all up uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, Daniel was probably in his teens. At this point, in the span of a month and a half, he is aged to a ripe age about 80 years old. Um, so he's about 80 years old or so, which is uh, old by, uh, especially the standards of the day he lived in. Um, but we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, remember, this is, he's now under the rule of the Medes and the Persians. You had Babylon. Remember, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream was about this golden statue with a gold head and then a silver body and then various metals as you went down. And the interpretation was, hey, there's other kingdoms that are going to come after you. One's going to wipe you out. It'll be a lesser kingdom. And then a lesser kingdom will wipe them out. Well, we're at the silver section right now of that dream. The, the Medes and the, the Persians have come in and they've wiped out Babylon. And so now they're the ones in charge, and that's what's happening here in chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, Darius is the king, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Dan Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So kind of setting the stage here. Babylon was a huge kingdom. And so they've just taken over a massive amount of land. What's one of the next things now you've got to do? You've got to figure out how to govern it. So they set up 120 different leaders to govern different areas of the land. So okay, well, how do we organize all those guys? Okay, with three high officials that oversee those. So you can assume that probably each guy probably took about 40 that they oversaw. And we've got these three high officials, and Daniel is one of them. So it doesn't say, say how he got to that point, but uh, God has shown him favor, and he got to a point of influence again, even this new administration, this new kingdom. And here he is uh, overseeing the satraps. It says these three high officials were there so the king would not incur loss. Why is that important? Well, the people he's talking about, the high officials are put over the satraps. They're the ones that are being put in the check here. They're the ones that the king is concerned about, saying, hey, I, I might incur loss if I don't put someone over these guys. And Daniel is rising to the top of the group, seeing him as someone who has an excellent spirit. He's in line for promotion. The king is about to say, you know what, I'm going to put this guy in charge of just everything because he is just uh, doing a great job. So we can see even in this that character matters. Here we have these satraps who are, who are being put into check. Hey, the king's losing out. You know, there's a little corruption going on here. You know, someone's cooking the books, and we got, we got to check, you know, we got to put some authority over this. Okay, let's get these high officials, and you know what, Daniel, you're making it, you're getting it happy. You keep finding all these different issues, and keep resolving them, and the king's happy with them. So we see that character counts. We see it here present in this man of God, and we see it absent 
into others. We're going to see that more here as we continue to read. Chapter 4, verse 4, I'm sorry. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel's reputation precedes him. This is an amazing story. We really stop and think about this. His reputation precedes him. They basically say, the only thing we can get him on, if we're going to try to get him in trouble, so it's kind of, again, reveals their hand a little bit, if they're the other high officials, the other two, and if they're also the other you know, group of satraps, and they're saying, we don't want Daniel, who's the guy who keeps figuring out all this corruption, what's that tell you about them? They're probably the ones who are profiting from some of this corruption in one way or another. They say, we need to get Daniel out of the picture, okay? But here's the problem. He's untouchable. We can't find any dirt on him. The man has continued to live a consistent life of character. So you know what? We're going to find him uh, you know, stepping up uh, in some way according to his own laws, according to his God. We're going to find him uh, being too godly. I mean, in essence, that's the trap they're trying to set for him because that's uh, the reputation that he's put forth. And as I was thinking about this, I had to pause for a minute and say, what kind of reputation do I have? I mean, how do people see me? What's the reputation that accompanies me? And maybe that's different depending on who you're talking to. You know, that, that friend from high school comes uh, in from out of town, and all of a sudden the stories that are told around the dinner table are a little different than they usually are, and, and a different reputation from your younger days comes to light. Or maybe you had wild partying days, and, and that, a different reputation carries there. Maybe that's where you are right now, and that's the reputation you have. Maybe that, that the guy who's willing to take any dare, calm chicken, and he won't back down from a fight. Maybe you got a uh, reputation for being someone who's willing to help no matter what. Maybe you got a reputation for being the guy with the pickup truck who's always willing to help tow something. What's your reputation? I think one way we can figure this out, if you're not sure, is what complaints would others find against you? So that they couldn't find any against Daniel. What complaints would others find against you? And if that still doesn't help you figure out what's your reputation, think of someone that you can trust, a close friend, and ask. Someone who will speak lovingly but honest. Let's seek to find out how others view us. Now, is that important? In some ways, yes. In some ways, yes. Now, if someone views us some way that's not, in a way that's not true of who we are, does that make it, us that way? No. But it helps us understand, well, okay, if that's who they think I am, that impacts how I reach out to them and how I can engage with them with the gospel. So the good news is this. If you have a reputation that is uh, one you would wish to shed and say it's an accurate rep uh, reputation for who you are, the good news here is that there's always an opportunity to change your ways. At any point, we can turn and go a new direction. Uh, one of the words the Bible uses for that is repent. And the Hebrew word for repent can also translate as to turn, to turn and go the other way. I, I love that. It's such an easy way to think about what repentance is. If you're doing something that you know it will be something that God wouldn't have you do, is contrary to the word of God, contrary to the heart of God. Well, how do, I, how do I fix this reputation, Steve? Begin with repentance. Turning and going the other way. Going God's way for what he would have for you in your life. So Daniel's got a spotless reputation. They're going to try to catch him being too godly, and this is the plan. Verse 6, then these high officials and satraps come, uh, came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. 
King, you are awesome. You are great. We got a fast one to pull on you. All the high officials of the kingdom, the, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. Now, is that true? Are they all agreed? No, Daniel's not in on this. They basically just said, hey, we're all the king. We'll say, we're all together. We talked about it. We discussed it. You know, you, you were on lunch break, king. We had a conversation. This is what we think you should do. That whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. <coughs> Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Again, these men are revealing their character and who they are by how they're engaging this king, these conspirators, uh, first and foremost, have already lied to the king. Everyone talked about this. This is what we should do. We're going to put a plan out there that for the next 30 days, if anybody prays uh, to anyone but you, you know, they're going to the lion's den. And they're, they're, they're feeding into his vanity. Now, in that culture, in, in that time, um, they didn't see themselves as gods if they were the rulers, but they could see themselves as the primary representative of God. And so they're still feeding into his vanity by... by directing their prayers to him, their petitions to him, in essence saying, hey, you are the primary representative of God for our nation. So King Darius is like, hey, that sounds good. I'm, I'm down for that. Yeah, let's go for it. And they also highlight, hey, according to our law, you know, let, let's put this into place. And that, that's important that they're doing that. So they've lied to him. They've conned him by, by appealing to his vanity and playing him for a fool. And now they're trying to entrap him because in the Medo-Persian law, once something was signed into law, you couldn't change it. Couldn't change it. Doesn't matter who you were. The king himself could not change a law he just signed. And so that's what they're trying to get him to do is go ahead and sign this into place. Say, hey, just so you know, once you sign this, it's law. No one can change it. So they're trapping him here because they know that he likes Daniel and doesn't want Daniel to go to the lion's den. Let's see what happens here. Verse 10. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, I love that it tells us that. It doesn't say he just started to keep praying. He knows. He knows very well what he's doing. He knows the document's been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Uh, quick little tangent on this. Uh, I've read different... Uh, people's viewpoints on this, and some have tried to speculate on why da Daniel was praying in public. You know, if, if all of a sudden it was um, illegal to, to pray to anyone but the king, and you're still going to pray to God, well, just go do it privately. Why, why, did, he, why did he just hide? It's some of the questions that they, they ask, but honestly, you, you look at this, it said, well, he goes to his house, goes to the upper chamber, and he opens the window, and he looks to Jerusalem. That, that would have been the, 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 the custom for Jews at that time would be to look towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem would have been seen as uh, um, a visual reminder of the seed of God, that God is with his people. And so they would look to that when they prayed. And he had set up this, this practice of three times a day he would go and pray. But this upper chamber, and he's, he's opened this window, and our best guess, based on architecture from those days, is probably a pretty small window. And so it's probably not obvious that, you know, it's not like he opened this three panes of sliding glass doors and all these curtains, and he's stretching out there and like, all right, God, here we go. I mean, he's not making himself obvious. We've got to be careful not to read into the text things that aren't there. Honestly, as I read this, I don't see someone going out into public and saying, hey, I'm going to pray no matter what. I think he's just continuing with the same pattern. 
Someone says, hey, three times a day I go and I pray to my God. I engage in relationship and conversation with him through prayer. So even though this law has been passed that makes it illegal, he knows it is still the right thing to do, even though it is a crime in his culture. So Daniel's prayer life was so consistent that you could set your watch by it. Isn't that wild? They, they, they knew where to get him and how to catch him. Because his reputation was so solid as someone who, who lived for God, down to, hey, this guy prays three times a day. Every time we want to go out for lunch, he's got to stop by home and, and go pray to Jerusalem. And so they show up, and they catch him in the act. No surprise there. But even though it was now a life and death matter, Daniel still prayed to God. Here's what I see in this. We've been talking about trying to know how do we live courageously? How do we live courageously in this land of confusion? Now those who are followers of Jesus, there's this tag on there. It's how do we live courageously for God in this land of confusion? Well, courage comes from a consistent routine of character. It's one of the things we can see from the life of Daniel. That courage comes from a consistent routine of character. Let me explain what I mean by that. Why, why do we practice things? Maybe you play a sport or an instrument or you do a martial art or some kind of self-defense. Why do we practice those things? Once you have a song down or, or a move down you know, or, or a, a pitch or a, you know, a basket, you know, a way that you shoot the basket, once you have that down, why do you keep practicing it? Well, I'm sure there's all kinds of different reasons we can, we can put in here, but one of those is you want to master the skill and then commit it to memory. Well, it's just known in your mind, or it's a form of muscle memory. You want it to become natural. You want it to be this thing that just always happens because, you know what, every time I get to this point in the game, every time I get to this point in the song, I do this. And it just happens naturally. and just flows out of who you are because you practice it over and over and over again. That's what Daniel's been doing with his prayer life. By continually doing the right thing with nothing at risk, Daniel was prepared to do the right thing when everything was at risk. By continually doing the right thing with nothing at risk, Daniel was prepared to do the right thing when everything was at risk. When it was easy, when there was no law that said it, it, it's illegal to pray to anyone but the king, he had established this consistent routine of character, of praying to God. He's continued in that. So then all of a sudden, when his life is on the line, it was easy to make the right call. It was easy to make the right call. I'm, I'm going to blame you for that one, Kurt. I know, just sit the baby down next to you. It makes you cry. <laughs> Love you, brother. Just teasing. So courage comes from a consistent routine of character. So these high officials, they, they spring their trap. They go before the king. Hey, remember that new law we just passed? It was like, you know, just, just yesterday. Yeah, I don't know if it was yesterday or not, but remember that new law we just passed within these 30 days? That, hey, if... Anyone else prays? Well, we found someone praying, and it wasn't to you, so let's prepare the lines then, right? Oh, by the way, it's, it's your boy Daniel. It's your boy Daniel. Chapter, uh, verse 14, we're going to jump ahead here. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he knows the law. He knows there's nothing he can do. And yet he sets his mind and says, i got to find a way around this. I'm the king. i, I got to be able to do something about this. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that this, the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, 
of the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. I mean, he didn't turn on his favorite movie. Uh, he didn't pull on the jesters or uh, the ladies or the food. He just, everyone out. Everyone out. He spent the night fasting. So here he is in his posh palace in the king's chambers. Can't sleep at all. Freaking out. Contrast that with Daniel. An 80-plus-year-old man in a den of lions. And while it doesn't go into much detail, it does say later in our text we get to, it says the angels closed the mouths of the lions. So while maybe he didn't have a comfy bed to lay on, I think it's safe to say he got a fairly decent night's sleep knowing that God had delivered him. You would know pretty soon if God was going to deliver you from that situation, right? All of a sudden you're a den of lions. Well, it's been an hour. They haven't eaten me yet, you know? Some commentators go as far to say he may even use the lion as a pillow. I don't know. It doesn't say that. We're reading in the text if we do. Um, but you can imagine. But notice the difference here between them. Darius is freaking out because of his recent decisions. He can't sleep. He, he's fasting. Daniel was content in his choice to pray to God. He knew that what could happen, the consequences, and yet he just was content. Darius' faith is in himself, yet he's powerless to deliver Daniel from his own law that he established. Daniel's faith is in God. And God is able to lead to deliverance. And Daniel's seen this before, right? He's seen God as a God of, of delivering people. In his own life, in the lives of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then we see here, after the day goes, verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? There's two beautiful things I see in these verses that just jump out to me. The first one is this, seeing a pagan king break protocol like this. I imagine from what we know of these days, it wasn't a common thing to see a king hurry up. I mean, everything waited on him, whatever he wanted to do. And if he wants something right now, everyone else around him had to hurry up. And yet he moves with haste. He hurries up. He gets his butt to that, that lion's den as fast as he can. And he calls out. And the way you see him calling out, I mean, it sounds as if one calling to their friend. Daniel, the one who serves the living God. What, what an amazing thing to see a pagan king acknowledge the one true God. Again, we begin to see some of the journey that he's walking on. We see some of Dar the steps that Darius is taking in his understanding of who God is. I also see this, that he sees David as one who serves the living God continually. Again, his, his reputation precedes him. Daniel had a consistent routine of character while in captivity, while going through many different leaders, while in the lion's den. Verse 21, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. I, I didn't do anything against God. I didn't do anything against you. And God delivered me from these lions is what he's saying. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. 
And the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. A couple things on this. First, we read that, and it seems like it's kind of a harsh punishment, isn't it? So not only did the men who accused him falsely get thrown in the lion's den, but their families got thrown in with them. Again, this, this highlights the, the law of the Medes and the Persians because they had a law of retaliation. That if you falsely accuse someone, that whatever their punishment was going to be, that is your punishment. And so they're facing the punishment that Daniel was facing. He also had uh, the law of the Medes and the Persians that would dictate that not only do you receive punishment, but your family would as well. What's interesting about this little uh, bit of information is it helps in dealing with any skeptics. Maybe you're sitting here saying, you know what? I I can't buy this story, Steve. Uh, I don't know much about lions, but every time I go to the zoo, I mean, they look kind of sleepy and lazy, you know? They're not, they don't look ferocious. Maybe they weren't hungry. Maybe, maybe they were Brookfield Zoo lions. I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, so one night, you know, if, if they really weren't, you know, hungry, you, I, I could do two nights, you know, with the Brookfield Zoo lions. You know, I'm sure Daniel could do one. Maybe we think that. Or we think, you know what, maybe, maybe they died of natural causes. You know, they, they sealed that den up too tight and, and well, whatever, something happened and they, they died, you know, maybe they were dead and that's how he survived. Or maybe we just think this is like a, Daniel's like Chuck Norris of his day, and he just defeated the lions. You know what I mean? Wh- whatever it is, whatever thing we want to think, maybe it's this or maybe it's that, it's all taken away once we see what happens once these men and their families are thrown in. Before they hit the bottom, they are devoured. So these lions were very much alive and very much hungry. So Daniel's life had been one of knowing his identity in God. He lived in that reality. Having his identity as a son of God directed his ways, whereas Darius' life has likely been one focused on self or maybe on country. He lived his life in that reality, allowing it to guide his steps. And so as we're looking to how we live courageously in a land of confusion, it all comes back to this. What is your identity in God? Who does God say you are? What is your relationship to him? Because as we understand that, as we know more and more what that means, that will help us to figure out how to be uh, people who live consistent routine of, of character. That will help us to be people who live courageously, no matter who disagrees with us, no matter what's at stake, even if it's our very lives. Because we know our God is able to deliver, and even if he doesn't, he is the one true God worthy of our obedience. So remember, there is good news to be told that at any point we can change direction. If you've been walking away from God, at any point you can repent, turn, and go the other way. We see that in Darius. Then King Darius, the guy who just said, everyone's got to pray to me. I'm, I'm going to put myself as the main representative of God right now. You all have to pray, for me, uh, pray to me for the next 30 days. The guy who just did that says this. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be, uh, to, shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of King Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. 
So as we look back over Daniel's life, we see that he was secure in his identity. Was it a life free from trouble and hardship? No, it wasn't. I imagine there's some seasons that were a lot more of a battle than others. And sure, as he rose up the ranks of leadership, maybe some days were a little easier than others, but he was still captive. He was still held against his will. He wasn't allowed to, to go do what he wanted to do, yet he was used by God in many miraculous ways. God didn't rescue him from the trouble, but brought him through the trouble. He used him to lead two different sitting kings to God, Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius. He impacted entire nations simply by living in the truth that he was a child of God and growing in understanding each day what that means. As I took my kids in at night, one of the things I, I pray for them, and I pray for them that they would, they got to, would, would um, guard their heart, renew their mind, strengthen their body, and that their soul would be with him every day. And each and every day, they would come to know him more. Each and every day, they would come to know him just a little bit more. That's my prayer for my, my life. That's my prayer for us here today, for each of you, that we can come to know God more. To find, center, and root our identity in God comes through a relationship with Jesus. Church, let us establish consistent routine in our relationship with him. Something we don't fail to do. Maybe you have a late night here or there, an all-nighter, but we don't fail to go to sleep, right? Eventually, sooner or later, we, we go to sleep. Because we know our body needs it, right? What we'll suffer without it, we, to grow and continue to move forward, we need sleep. We don't fail to miss a meal, especially if you're a guy. We just, it doesn't happen. We don't fail. To, we throw extra meals in just to make sure we got enough covered. We don't fail them because we know our body needs it to live, to grow, to thrive. Think about the closest person in your life. A parent, a spouse, child, who are you, your best friend, who are you closest with? Think about what you do in that relationship that feeds that relationship, how you grow together, you talk with each other, you spend time together, you do things together. If those were to stop, that relationship would suffer. I know we all have those friends, hey, we don't have to be in touch for a year, and then we see each other, and all of a sudden it's like old times again. Try that one with your spouse. Try that one with your mom. <laughs> Try that with those who are closest to you. It doesn't work. The relationship suffers. And the same goes for our walk with God. Let's not give up on the equivalent of sleep and food to our relationship with God. But let's set a routine. Daniel had three times a day that he prayed. My challenge to each one of us is that we would not fail to find our identity in God, but establish a routine. You can fill in what that is. There's things like spending time in prayer, spending time in reading the Word of God. Even if we're not sure how or we don't fully understand it, start something. We're going to be talking about uh, a book, Amir Christianity by C.S. Lewis, uh, with our leadership council this Saturday coming up. We've got a meeting. One of the, kind of the theories, one of the things that, that C.S. Lewis hits on is it's kind of, kind of a, a fake it till you make it. You know, like God calls you forgiven. God calls you a son or a daughter. He calls you uh, a sovereign. Or I'm sorry, call, calls you forgiven. And so even though we may not know how to live in that reality yet, try your best and, and live in that as best you can. And, and as you do that more and more, you begin to understand and see what that is and, and excel in that. And so if you're not sure how to do this, just start with something. Set a routine of time in prayer, time in the Word, and time in communion.